Thank you, choir, for that beautiful song and for the reminder of the hope that we have in the light that Christ has shown in each one of our hearts and the fact that He has revealed to us the way that we can be set free. And so uh, that is a blessing to, to hear that in song. And uh, thank you for the leadership in that. We, uh, I was told a long time ago by an old preacher that the pastor has a very heavy task to do on homecoming Sunday. There is one task, uh, and it's an a important one, uh, a responsibility that the pastor ought not take lightly, and that is to ensure that the food does not get cold. And so, <laughs> so I want to speak to you about uh, the hope that we have on this homecoming uh, Sunday, and I want to speak to you as, as uh, clearly as I can, but I also have in mind that we can all smell fried chicken, and I, I, I know that, and we want to uh, remember the foundation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ and, and spend time in fellowship together. So we're going to do all that, but we're going to begin our time of study together in Psalm 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 11, you can. And as I was thinking on the foundation of Antioch West Baptist Church and the importance of this church and this community and how uh, much of a blessing it's been to the church uh, for 169 years, I could not keep, uh, keep but keep coming back to Psalm 11, which is one of my favorite psalms. It's a very short psalm, very simple psalm to, to read and to understand. And so as we consider the founding of Antioch West Baptist Church and the blessing that it has been and the meaning that it has had in our community today, uh, we're going to read from Psalm 11 and, and understand that as we uh, are encouraged by God's word today. So uh, follow along with me as I read Psalm 11. And uh, then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 11, verse 1, God's word says, To the choir master of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of study and proclamation, Lord, we know that your word is true. And Lord, we seek not the wisdom of men. We seek not uh, the, the poetry of a sermon, but we seek your word. We seek the poetic way that you speak to us in this psalm. We seek the wisdom that you have for us from your, your king that you anointed, King David. And we seek the greater kingdom that, that your son Jesus Christ has brought to bear in our lives. So Father, as we remember the blessing of Antioch West Baptist Church, may it point us to a greater foundation. A foundation that is only found in the hope of Jesus Christ and the rest that we find in him. 
Father, bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So there are two things that I want you to see from this text. One is the faulty foundation, and the second is the faithful Lord. So to start, let's notice the faulty foundation. In verse, verses 1 through 3, we find that, first of all, David is writing this psalm, and he's writing this psalm uh, to address a hard question that a, a theoretical skeptic has raised. And this skeptic raises a question about the hope that David can hold on to. And, and he raises in this question two problems and one desperate solution that I want you to see. There are two problems that this skeptic raises in the first three verses of this psalm. The first problem that he raises is found in verse 2. Notice it says that the wicked of this world, they have their sights set on those who would live for the Lord. They have drawn their bow and their arrow is set and they are ready to shoot anyone who would seek to live for the Lord. Now in David's day, that was a very true thing. If you remember the, the story of David as a young man, David uh, lived under the reign of the crazy uh, King Saul and David was faithful to live for the Lord. He was faithful in shepherding. He was faithful in his battle against Goliath. He was faithful even when he was resting in the camp of the Philistines. And yet, even as he was faithful, faithful, in fact, for the reward of his faithfulness, he was hounded by the wicked King Saul. And King Saul literally drew his bow and his arrow and aimed it at King David, or at David. It, just like David went through that persecution of the wicked, so too even today, the wicked still are bending their bows at the righteous. As a business owner, if you refuse to go along with the sexual revolution and the LGBTQ uh, movement, you could be bankrupted with the litany of lawsuits that come after you. As, as an employee... If you stand firm in your dedication to Sabbath worship and commitment to being with God's people on Sunday, you could literally lose your job as a result of that. Churches during this last year and a half who have sought to, yes, obey as much as we can the precautions and take seriously the precautions to, uh, that are uh, always changing with the guidelines that the government sends out, uh, churches that have sought to still meet even under the lockdowns of the pandemic have still experienced harassment and uh, some pastors have even been arrested as a result of their faithfulness to regular weekly worship. So the second problem that the skeptic presents is found in verse 3. Let's read verse 3 again. In verse 3, the psalmist says, If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? So this skeptic points out that the foundations of society have been destroyed. And as a result, the righteous have nowhere to stand. Now this word foundation that is used here is the idea of foundational principles that make up a society. Like 
the political process, the collective sense of morality, the virtues and and norms that a culture finds important. And the skeptic looks at the society of Israel at his time and he says, you know, there's nowhere to stand. There's nowhere to go because society is crumbling and the foundations of this society are crumbling. They're all corrupt and so there's nowhere for the righteous to stand anymore. And that was certainly, if you imagine, if you can think back to the early days of Israel during the reign of King Saul, that was certainly the case. You know, the early days of King Saul were pretty hopeful. He he was a a big man, a head above every other man in the society. He looked the part of a king. uh, And and for a little time, he did bring uh, about a victory for Israel. He defeated the Philistines and they had some early victories. And yet, the king that the people had begged for turned out to be a madman. King Saul grew increasingly erratic. He broke ceremonial law by offering a sacrifice in the place of the priest. He resisted God's will, trying repeatedly to have God's next anointed king, David, assassinated. He even sought counsel from demonic forces by consulting a medium. His reign ultimately ended in a terrible defeat of the Philistines in which he and his son Jonathan were killed. So you can imagine, just imagine being in that environment where you have a crazy leader who is always or or is totally unpredictable, who is unfaithful in all that he does, who contradicts the law of God and who is uh, always out to get the next appointed king of Israel. Imagine being in that situation when King Saul finally died. And it certainly If you were in that situation, it would certainly appear that the religious and the cultural and the political foundations of Israel had been destroyed. That there was nowhere for the righteous to stand. You know, as I've thought about the life of Antioch West Baptist Church, I can't help but think of the the change that this church has seen. The church was founded back in 1852, and I want you to think about that, the fact that that's nearly three lifetimes, three whole lifetimes of people have lived and died and gone on to be with the Lord in this community and in this church. That's four, over four generations, if you measure a generation by 40 years. That's over four generations of people that have lived and died and gone on to be with the Lord in this community. And there have been so many changes that this church has seen. So much wickedness that has gone on in this society that this church has seen. This church has seen the foundations of our society quake and crumble time and again. Mothers in this church have watched as their children have been enlisted to fight in wars of all kinds, from the Civil War to World War I and II to Korea to Vietnam to the First and Second Gulf Wars to the war in Afghanistan. This church body has been through the cultural shifts of Reconstruction, Prohibition, the Great Depression, segregation, the feminist movement, the gay rights movement, and the social justice movement. The people of this church have suffered under the Spanish flu, 
the epidemics of smallpox and polio and the COVID-19 pandemic. Members have witnessed the assassination of four presidents and the attempts of an assassination on two others and have seen hundreds of mass shootings and thousands of intentional church burnings. As a result of all of these problems, it would be easy for us to be like this skeptic and to wonder, what can the righteous do? If the wicked are always hounding the righteous and the foundations of our society give us no other place to stand, nowhere to stand, it seems that the only solution is to run and hide. And in verse 1, the skeptic gives this desperate solution. Notice what he says there. He says, flee like a bird to your mountain. In the face of menacing wickedness and a crumbling society, it feels like the only answer is to find a safe place high on a mountain and to watch the world burn. And many Christians have done just that. Many Christians have sought to separate from the world and, and uh, to, to live as a separate society. And you have Christians that take that very seriously, like the Mennonites and the Amish. But most Christians instead choose just to blend in. Afraid of being called out on social media, media or frowned upon at some dinner party, Christians have just jumped on board with the cultural shifts of sex and marriage. Concerned with cultural influence and book deals and growing, a growing platform, pastors and churches have tweaked the gospel to make it less offensive Blunting the edges with respect to sin and judgment and repentance and holiness. So this skeptical solution that this person, this theoretical person gives in this psalm, it has a fundamental flaw. Notice the question of verse 3 again. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, where will the righteous stand? In that question... The skeptic assumes that the foundations of society, like politics and cultural institutions and the economy, are what give the righteous their strength. He assumes that the only way that the righteous can live for the Lord is if they have a good economy and good politics and and a good leader in the White House. But that, notice, is not where the psalmist finds his strength to live in the Lord. And that brings me to my second point, and that is the faithful Lord. So in response to this skeptical view, David reveals a deeper foundation on which the righteous can stand. We can stand in the Lord Himself. His answer to the question of what the righteous can do when the foundations are destroyed is found right at the beginning in verse 1. Notice what he says. In the Lord I take what? I take refuge. For the righteous, their confidence is not in the political power of this world or the social institutions or its cultural norms. Their hope is in the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord. And there are three ways that the Lord is a refuge to the righteous that we see in this psalm. Notice first in verse, in verse 4, the sovereignty of the Lord is a refuge for those who trust in Him. 
The psalmist says that the Lord is in His temple and He sees everything that men do. Now, although it may seem like injustice reigns and there is nothing that can set the wicked right, though it may seem that people go on sinning and living like they want to, and we can, no matter how righteously we live, no matter how holy we, how much we pursue holiness, the world continues in sin. Though it may seem like nothing is seen and everything goes the way the wicked want it, yet the Lord sees all of the wickedness that is done on this earth, and He will not let the wickedness reign forever. Amen. He sees... He knows and He is still reigning. And there will be a day when He makes all things right. And that brings me to my second point in verse 6, or the second way that God uh, is a refuge. The justice of the Lord is a refuge to those who trust in Him. David says that the Lord will one day rain down coals. Now that's a pretty rough Image, but he will rain down coals on the wicked. So, one of the great hopes of the gospel is not just in the fact that God will redeem us through his Son, which that is the, the primary and greatest hope that we have, but another hope of the gospel is that one day God will set all things right. One day God will restore and redeem this world for himself. God knows every misdeed, every violent act, every moment of persecution. You may have suffered under abuse and, and uh, sin all of your life and nobody knows about it except for you and the person who is abusing you. But God knows and He will judge and make all things right on that final day. There is no deed, no wickedness that will not go unpunished. And friend, if you are living outside of Christ, you need to hear this because the sin that you are living in will not go unpunished either. There will be a day when God judges sin and you will be judged for never turning to faith in Christ. The wicked may have their day, but God will have his eternity. And finally, in verse 7, the love of God is a refuge to those who trust in Him. Now, as I've talked about wickedness and sin, something that might have come to your mind, even if you're a believer and you've lived in Christ for years and you've pursued righteousness, something might come into your mind as I've said all this. And that is, but Brother Nathan... Yes, I, I love Jesus and I live for Jesus, but I'm in no way am I righteous. I know that I sin every day, every week. And so how can I fit into the promises of this psalm that the Lord is a refuge for the upright? But I want you to recognize that there is something that David does with this word righteous that we tend to miss. Because when we, when we think of the word righteous, we tend to think only in moral terms. So when we talk about righteousness, what we typically mean is uh, perfection, that you are morally perfect. But that's not the way David uses that word here. Notice what he says in verse 1 again. The righteous are those who take refuge in the Lord. 
In the Psalms, David gives another definition, and that is that the righteous are those who by faith trust in what the Lord will do. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The wicked are those who trust in their own power and their own schemes. The wicked are those who say, you know what? I'll make my own way in this world. As Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. I'll plow my own field. I'll make my own road. I'll make my own way in this world. And I'll take advantage of people. I'll do what I want to do with my life. And you can't say anything about it. That's what the wicked are. But the righteous are those who instead say, no, I will pursue the Lord. I will trust in Him. I will take refuge in His goodness and His grace. David reminds us that the Lord loves those who take refuge in Him. In fact, if you notice in verse 7, it says that the Lord, what that means is that we will see Him face to face. So this church has seen many wicked things in the last 169 years that we have existed. It has seen the foundations crumble time and again. Yet those who have gone before us in faith did not trust in the powers of this world as the means of deliverance. They took refuge in the Lord and trusted in what He had done for them in Jesus Christ. Their hope was that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, they would one day be raised to everlasting life. One of the uh, uh, little known facts that you may, you may not know, if you, uh, but one of the things that I love about an old country church is the fact that the graveyard is right here beside us. I love that for two reasons. One, it witnesses to those who have been faithful and have gone on before us. It also is kind of a reminder that we have a cloud of witnesses that testify to a faithful life. But the other thing that I love about it is a fact that Kathy brought up that that I knew about, but she reminded me of is if you notice all of the graves out here, have you ever noticed which way they face? They face east. Why do they face east? Because Jesus will come out of the east. Their hope is that Jesus Christ will return one day and they will go to be with Him forever. And that should be our hope as well. Our hope is not in what this world has to offer. All this world has to offer is wickedness and corruption and death. But we look to the Lord of life who one day with the shout and with the sound of a trumpet will call us forth wherever we are And we will be with Him for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessing of Jesus Christ and the hope that He brings for us. Lord, our refuge is not found in the political processes of this life. Our refuge is not found in some great leader who might bring us out of the mire that we're in. Our refuge is in the Lord. So Father, help us to trust in You regardless of what comes in this life whether it be pandemic or trial or nakedness or sword, whether it be um, 
the, the loss of our freedoms or the downturn of an economy. Whatever might happen to us, Lord, may we rest not in the mechanisms and means of this world, but in the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, bless us now as we respond to you in faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.